You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, we are continuing on our series called Fugitive, and um, we're talking about a letter from a friend to a friend about a friend. This is a letter from a spiritual father to a spiritual son about a spiritual son. So as uh, we dive into this section on Philemon, uh, I want you to imagine a guy running. He's an outlaw. He's a fugitive. He's wanted. There's a bounty on his head. Uh, he's a thief. He is a, he's a runaway, but not just any runaway. He's a runaway slave. And as a runaway slave, if he was caught, he would be branded with a F for fugitives right on his head. He would be beaten. And in that culture, he would probably be uh, killed and his family possibly killed and he would be dragged back. Um, This was a letter that was written so that none of that would have to happen. And I want to clarify because in the Roman Empire, when we think of slavery, we might think of Roots or Kunta Kinte or or Lincoln. Um, You know, what, what we think about when we think of slavery is not what their culture was about. Uh, in the Roman Empire, the majority of the population were slaves. And they were slaves by choice and by force. They were slaves by force in that whenever the Roman Empire conquered a neighboring country and took it over, basically they would mandate that the men, many of the men, would become slaves to the Roman Empire for about 10 to 15 to 20 years. And then they would be given Roman citizenship and set free. And many signed up to be slaves, to receive training, to receive um, life, uh, basically uh, finances. Many of them were, were forced into slavery because if they had debt, they would go to work for their, their, uh, their debtor for uh, six months to 10 years to pay off the debt. Or maybe they had taxes. They had to pay off taxes. They would turn themselves in to the government. And this was something that was sometimes the master was ruthless and harsh. Because once you were a slave, you were property. And the slave had no rights of his own during that season. And then there were owners and masters that were good and kind. That actually basically added them to their will and saw them as their own kids. And they were good. Well... Philemon, whose name means kind, that's what the word means, was actually a kind master. He was a wealthy Christian business landowner who was uh, led to the Lord by Paul when he was visiting Ephesus one week. And he returned back to his hometown in Colossae where he opened up his house for the church to meet. He was not a pastor, but he was the house host of the church in that city. And Onesimus was a bad slave. Onesimus was one of his servants who, when his master's back was turned, robbed him and ran and left for Rome, blew everything he had, but he ran into an unlikely person. He ran into the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was under house arrest in a home in Rome. And Onesimus finds refuge with Paul And he becomes a new man in Christ Jesus. Now, 
These are three characters, each one running from God at some point in their life, and each one God intervened. And Paul was in many ways a father to both of these guys. As you're going to see today, that not only is he a spiritual father, but he considers Onesimus as his own son. That's how dear and close Onesimus became to Paul. Over time, Paul and Onesimus had become so close that Onesimus began to tell him the rest of his story, that he was a runaway slave, that he was running from his master in Colossae. And Paul says, hey, guess what? That guy, Philemon, your master, I led him to the Lord. And I'm the apostle of the church there as well. Paul confronted Onesimus and said, it's time to go back. It's time to face your past. But here, give him this. And he gave him a letter. And he gave him a letter. And Philemon traveled 1,000 miles back, hiding all the way back. Because if he were caught on the way back, he would have been beaten. He would have been branded. He would have been uh, put in chains. And then he shows up 1,000 miles of running. Philemon answers the door, Onesimus head down, hands him in the letter. Philemon breaks the seal and reads. This is the intimate look over the shoulder of that letter. It's the only letter in the entire Bible where Paul is asking for a favor. It's the only one time that's ever recorded Paul asking anyone for a specific favor. Well, this letter has tremendous value because it's really our story as well. Last week, we looked at Philemon 1 uh, through seven, and basically it's the hello, it was powerful, check it out online, um, I loved it, basically he says, uh, I miss you, I'm proud of you, I love you, I'm thankful for you, and after he butters him up, he drops the shoe, and he gives him a challenge about the man standing in front of him, who robbed him blind and went on the run, and I can imagine Philemon reading this letter, looking at this letter, and saying, Wow, my father, my spiritual father is writing to me. Well, today, the elephant in the room, a dead man is running. He was literally a dead man. Theft was grounds for execution in Rome. Uh, Add to that, as a runaway slave, you're dead for sure. It's not tolerated. Sometimes you're dismembered. Your hands are cut off. If you stole something, your, your legs or your feet were sometimes cut off. If you were a runaway Uh, shackles, and often your family was killed to set a precedent. So Onesimus was literally a dead man running for and from the authorities and was hoping that standing in front of him was grace in the form of his master. So after Paul butters him up, he gives him every reason to receive Onesimus. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 8. And he says this, Therefore, Now, I've always been told when I was in Bible college, whenever it says, therefore, you need to know what it's there for. And uh, basically, we already read one through seven last week, and he gives every reason to Philemon to receive Onesimus. He says, he praises him. He prays for him. He says, I believe in you. He says, keep it coming. And then he says, he waves his finger and he says, this is not the slave you're looking for. Basically, that first seven verses is like, is like the, the Jedi speech. And here standing before Philemon is a therefore. Because I love you, because 
I believe in you because I'm thankful for you. Therefore, Onesimus is here because I trust that you're going to do the right thing. He says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. He says, as an apostle, I could tell you what to do, but I'm going to try to motivate rather than to legislate. So he says, it is as none other than Paul. He says, I'm an old man now, also a prisoner in Christ Jesus. And I think this is funny. I mean, Paul's writing this letter. He goes, I'm just an old man. And I'm in chains. He says, I'm a prisoner. Can you hear him? You know, and he says, he's playing the sympathy card. He says, Philemon, I'm just an old man. Just one last favor. You know, one last, I'm in chains. He says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He says, he became a Christian while I was in jail. And all I can say is that, God, thank you for the change. Thank you for the change. Some of you are in chains in financial debt and problems or financial problems, and you are the vessel by which someone could meet Jesus while you're in chains. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, this is a, 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 a cool little thing here because he's being kind of funny here. You may not realize this. This is a play on words because the word Onesimus, his name means useful. So if we were to read it in the the way that they read it, it would sound like this. I know useful wasn't very useful to you, but now he's super useful to both you and to me. He's kind of throwing this little pun here. It says, Onesimus ran from work when he was with you, and he took what others worked for when he was with you. He was uh, useless, but not anymore. He says, wait till you see him now. His his uselessness became useful. He went from useless to useful. And then it gets more intense. Verse 12, he says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. Now, if I'm Philemon and I'm reading this and Onesimus is there, I'm like, I'm like one second away from having him at least arrested and, and accounted for. And I want to know where, where those possessions are. I want to know where that money is. I want to know where you've been. And he's standing here and Paul's saying, I'm in chains. I'm an old man. This is my son. This is my heart. And I'm thinking, come on, Paul, man, that's heavy. How can I discipline your heart? How can I discipline your son? You're making it tough for Philemon's conflicted. Verse 13 Paul says, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. Basically, he says, I wish he could stay here doing what you could have been doing by proxy. Now, this is a, a little principle here I think is really cool. It's basically Philemon could not go to Rome. Onesimus had gone to Rome. Onesimus had ministered beside and along with Paul. And Paul basically says, he was doing your work. Listen to me. Some of you, you can't go to Haiti with us. There's 15 of us going to Haiti. By the way, we do have a spot open 
um, we are going to Haiti. And some of you cannot go, but you can send us. And you know, when you send us, you're going with us. Just like what Paul is saying. He says, Philemon, you couldn't go, but he was in proxy for you. You know what? When it comes to like mission work, and you, man, maybe you have a heart to go, but you can't go right now. You can go through us. It's powerful. That's a great principle here. He says, sending others, supporting financially. Jesus can use anything you offer. He multiplies it. Verse 14, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. He says, man, I want this to be spontaneous because I want you to want this. Not because I'm telling you in verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. That is an amazing verse. He says, maybe this was the reason all of this happened. Maybe the reason you were cheated on. Maybe the reason you were stolen from. Maybe the reason you lost finances. Maybe the reason he ran away and caused you all that heartache was for this reason. He says, stop for just a second. Look back at everything that has happened. Maybe it was for this. Maybe this is what God was doing. Maybe this was why. So he can meet Jesus. Verse 16, this is where we're going to end today. Onesimus, he says, is no longer a slave, but he's better than a slave. As a dear brother, he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Imagine all the other neighbors. Onesimus coming in, and they're like, about time, he's going to get it. They were expecting heavy, intense discipline to set a precedent to all the servants, to all the slaves. Because if Onesimus got away with this, I can imagine the other slaves were going, give me some of that Jesus so I can do anything I want to. It's like he got jailhouse religion and somehow he's excused. So I can imagine his neighbors, we can't allow this. Somebody has to pay for this. It's The others are going to think they can get away with anything. But what happens here is a change of not only position, but a change of relationship. And next week is Paul's most persuasive uh, plea. So don't miss next week. Next week, we're going to unpack the challenge to Philemon. Today, I want to give you five truths or five thoughts about this dead man running, this son, uh, words from a father, a challenge to a son. So these are words for you, sons and daughters in this room from a spiritual dad named Paul. This is the first thing he says, from a father in the faith to a son, number one, it's better to bite the bullet than to fear it. You see, you think it was easy for Onesimus to go back home? Do you think it was easy for him to fess up and to own up to what happened? And he could have ran the rest of his life. He could have said, forget you, Paul. I'm blending in in Rome. And you'll never see me again. Philemon will never see me again. 
I'm a free man and I'm not going back because it may not turn out the way that you think, Paul. Onesimus was biting the bullet and he went back. This was an intense challenge for him. He did not skip back to Colossae. And as he reached the city, it would have been even worse because his face would have been known. He would have been ducking from house to house, behind building, behind building, until he could finally make it to his old home. There was probably no joy in his steps. There was probably no sense of peace in his steps, but it was the right steps. Imagine the relief when he finally handed that letter to him because rise or fall, it was over. No more hiding, no more ducking, no more secret meetings, no more having to keep your eye open and looking back over your shoulder, no more beating hearts that feel like they're about to beat out of your chest that you're going to get caught. It's been said that there's no pillow like a clean conscience. And there's no power like confessed sin. And some of you, the challenge is to bite the bullet and to confess. There's something in your life that some of you are running from. There's some sin, some secret that you are afraid to talk about, maybe at home, maybe with your parents, maybe with your kids, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your boss. And you're in fear of being caught, of being found out. And you're hiding, you're looking over your shoulder, you're trying to delete your history. The fear of being found out, however, is over with the power of confessed sin. And once you face your past, it can't sneak up on you anymore. And I love this because sin will suck the life right out of you. It sucks your confidence, your conviction, your certainty, your worship, your strength. But Confession is freedom. As long as it is a secret, it smolders in the dark and burns you up inside until you confess it. Sometimes the only way to go forward is to go back. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 to 24, Jesus tells the story. He says, if you come to the altar to worship and you have issues with another person, If you have an offense or you have, the Bible sometimes uses words like ought, that means offense, you're angry at somebody. If you have something going on in your heart against somebody, Jesus says you need to just leave what you brought right there and go get that squared away and then come back. He says, Jesus says, before you can move on with God, you need to figure things out with others. You need to settle the ground. You need to, sometimes to move forward, you have to go back. And, uh, God wants to take your pain and use it for a platform. He wants to take your mistake and turn it into a message in a megaphone so that others may know the life and the hope. But here's the deal. Dad, you set the example. You set the example on transparency, on confession, and you set the lead. Some of you dads, it's time to fess up to your kids. It's time to fess up to your spouse. It's time to own up to things and allow whatever happens to follow. Because guess what? By the way, you'll get caught anyways. That's what the Bible says. It says in 
And Numbers 32, 23, it says, be sure that your sin will find you out. It will come out eventually. So you can either break the news or it will become breaking news. And when it is discovered and it's not on your terms that it was found out, you better come clean or you will get caught. And I've seen this. If you come clean with humbleness, you are received most often. But if you are caught, even tears of repentance are not believed because people only say and think that you are crying because you got caught. So bite the bullet. Don't fear the bullet. Let's follow Nesimus. Time to confess. Number two is that love can't be forced and neither can forgiveness. He says in verse eight, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. He says, yet I prefer to appeal you on the basis of love. He says, man, I want to I motivate, not legislate. I, I don't want it to be compulsion, but I want it to, to be out of yours. I want it to be voluntary. Verse 13 and 14, he says, I would have liked to, to keep him with me, but I did not want to do anything against your consent. He says, I wanted it to be voluntary for you. See, when you confess and own up to your sin, it is their choice to forgive. You cannot force forgiveness. You cannot force them to accept you or to take what you're talking about and turn it into something good. And this is where this is where you got to trust God and let the chips fall where they may. Basically, you say, well, but I confess. They got to forgive me, right? No, they don't have to. And this is kind of the scary thing because, because love can't be forced and forgiveness is a fruit of love. If someone is forced to forgive you, then there might be a lack of love and you won't ever know love until you know the risk of confession. Do you hear this? This is powerful. Some of you are afraid to talk about what's going on in your life because you're afraid of what those that love you will think about you. Well, you'll never experience that true love from them until you experience confession. Because when they voluntarily forgive, it's an expression of that deep love that they have. And it's got to be of their own account. And this is the beauty of this verse. We see, we see Paul recognizing that he can't force forgiveness. He can't force someone to get things right. Restoration is voluntary. Things don't always turn out the way we had hoped. But we can't truly experience love without giving them the chance to choose. So how did Paul challenge Philemon, what did he say to him? Here's a couple of things that aren't going to be in next week's message, but this is for you, Dad. Three things that Paul gives Philemon. He says, the first thing, he says, Philemon, he says, you need to be a friend to Onesimus. He says, man, he robbed you, but he needs a friend. He did you wrong, but he needs a friend. He's alone, he needs a friend. Philemon, be a friend. And then second thing he says, he says, Philemon, you need to be a forgiver. You need to be the kind of person who forgives those who don't deserve it. Because guess what? You didn't deserve it either. And he's saying to, as a spiritual father to his son about what's to be Philemon's spiritual son, Onesimus, he says, be a friend, be a forgiver, and three, be a future giver. See, Phil had every right to rob Onesimus of his life by law, but he didn't. 
he chose to restore and give him a future. Dad, be a friend. Be a forgiver. Be a future giver. Here's the third thing is uh, to the dead man running is that God wants to help you to live up to your name. I love this. Philemon, his name means kind. Onesimus, his name means useful. And here's Paul saying, Philemon, here's your chance to be kind. Onesimus, here's your chance to be useful again, to, to give back to the person who you stole from. Here's your chance to live up to the name in which you've been given. Onesimus has a new way of looking at life. And it's not just about your soul. It's about the reflection of your life. See, listen to this verse in Colossians. By the way, Philemon was carrying another letter with him. It's what we have in the Bible as the book of Colossians. It's a letter to the church there. He had two letters. He had the letter to Philemon and a letter to the church of Colossians. He had both of them. Well, in that letter of Colossians, this is what Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, when Jesus brings redemption, he just doesn't want your soul. He wants your life. He doesn't just want your spirit. He wants your hands. He doesn't just want your heart. He wants your feet. He doesn't just want your eternity. He wants your now. You see, redemption is something that is purchased and brings value to again. And what what Paul does is he challenges Philemon to see the value in the purchased Onesimus. He says he's a new man from the inside out. Your whole life can be about the better you. See, some of you, you've given your life to Christ and that's, you know, you've, you've checked the box. Christian, boom. And it hasn't really saturated into every aspect of your life because from the inside out, God wants you to be a better student. God's called you to be a better employee. God's called you to be a better parent, to be a better son, to be a better daughter. The art that you make is an expression of the spirit of God in you. The songs that you sing and write are an expression of God inside of you. You are to live up to the name of Christ that has been given to you. Your full potential finally realized in Christ. He says Onesimus isn't just born again. He's a new man. He went from useless. He's useful. Guys, God wants you to live up to the full potential of your name. Dad, you have a name. And guess what your dad is? Uh, Guess what your name is? I just said it. Dad. And with that comes a lot of weight. With that comes a, a heavy Basically, burden of responsibility. Man, live up to the name in which you've been given. Our names are often picked and influenced by celebrities and popular culture. How many of you have named your, let's be honest, how many of you have named your child after a celebrity's name? Anybody want to fess up to that? Sure. Thank you. A couple of hands. How many of you named your child after a athlete? Anybody? How many? I don't believe this because you know what? You know, there's seasons where there's popular names and these names are like popular because they're like 30% of all people are named this name during that season because it's influential. People name names. How many of you named your children after comic book characters? I know, I know of at least four or five in this room that have done that. All right. We, 
don't value the names uh, like they did in Bible days. In the, in the time of the Bible, they named their children with prophetic words and with names in which they would hope it would mean. Like my name is Theodore, and I think I was named after Teddy Roosevelt. Now, I have no idea. But uh, I tell you, every Ted on TV is either a, a serial killer uh, or a complete jerk, right? Or a nerd. And it's like, what is it with Ted? He's either jerks, nerds, or killers. Um, but Ted, Theodore means, Theo is God, adore means gift. And Andrew, my middle name, fits me perfectly. It means manly. Uh, what's so funny about that? So, uh, <laughs> so I'm a manly Gift of God to you, honey. I have no idea if I'm living up to that name, but let me tell you something. Maybe your name, like I knew, uh, we have a friend whose name is Craig. If you have a name, Fred, Craig, basically his name means dweller in a crag. One who hangs out in caves. And uh, we used to call him dweller in a crag. It used to make him like really mad. But uh, really it meant like, you know, eagles that hide in the cleft of the rock, but dwell under crags sounds so much funnier. Um, sometimes we, we don't live up to our names, but let me tell you something. You already have a name, a new name. Revelation 2.7 says that, that God has, has, at the end of time, will reveal that name to us. He will give us a new name. And Isaiah 56 and 62 says that God already knows that name. And guess what he does? He speaks that name over you every day. You don't know that name yet, but he's speaking it over you, calling you and challenging you and calling you to live up to the name in which you have been given. And right now we know we've been given the name of Christ if we're followers. So let's live up to that name. Here's the fourth thing is our unity in Christ is greater than our differences in the world. Verse 16, he says, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. A dear brother, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. Uh, now, I just kind of start off by saying, fortunately, everyone here um, agrees with me on everything. So that's good to know. But for, again, the laughter. Uh, but some of you, uh, you don't agree with everybody. You know, some of you, you don't get along. Uh, we have different positions. We have different opinions because I am friends on your Facebook. And I know that some of you would not get along together. And I know that some of you uh, are very open about your thoughts and your opinions. It's a free country. Have at it. But guess what? Our differences are small in comparison to our unity in Christ. In fact, our unity is greater than any difference we might have. We have different backgrounds here. We have different social backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, economic backgrounds. We, and those things have shaped our opinions. But guess what? Our differences... Don't matter in our unity in Christ. Our unity in Christ is greater than our difference because of Jesus. We see each other through the eyes of Christ rather than through our money, rather than through our background, rather than through the state that we grew up in, rather through our politics. We see each other differently rather than through the color of our skin. We see each other differently rather than through our family. Because our unity in Christ is greater than our differences in the world. He says, man, he's not a slave. He's a brother. Our position changes in Christ. This, next week, we're going to really unpack this whole idea of the relationship change that happens in Christ. As we end this Philemon series, next week's the last one. Don't miss next week as we 
really talk about the change in relationship that happens for those that truly know Jesus. It is amazing what it does. Some of you right now, you're thinking of someone you'd rather not talk to again. In Christ, your differences don't matter. Our unity in Christ is greater. Here's the last thing, and I want to end with this, and that is you might be closer to God than you think. You might be closer to God. Do you think that when Onesimus robbed his boss and hit the road and ran a thousand miles to get to Rome, that he thought that God was anywhere with him? He probably thought God was a thousand miles away. But little did he know that every step that he took, every breath that he took, (laughs) I'll be watching you. You know, every move that he took, every, you know, did he realize that every step of the way, you knew it was coming. Did you think that he thought that God was close when he was on the run, ducking from place to place, hiding, partying, drinking, shooting up, whatever. God might have felt a thousand miles away, but God was right there all along. Philemon 15 says, perhaps this was the reason he was separated from you for a little while. Wow, that you might have him back forever. See, long before he ever got to Rome, God put Paul on a prison boat and sent him to Rome. Long before he ever got to Rome, Paul was arrested and put in a house and was not allowed to go anywhere. Long before he got to Rome, little did he know that he would run into the man that led the guy he was running from to Christ. Little did he know that when he was running, he was running straight to God the whole time. God knew what he was doing. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This verse is significant for those of you that are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, guess what? Not all things work for good. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you are called according to his purpose, that means you are his child, then guess what? No matter what happens in your life, God's going to work it for something amazing. Whatever you're going through right now, God is closer than you think. No matter what's going on in your marriage, in your home, in your job, no matter what's going on in your heart, in your life, God is closer than you think. And he's working something good. You. In fact, in the midst of terrible persecution, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. He says in verse uh, 15 of chapter 4, he says, In the trials that you suffer, all this is for your benefit. All this is for you. The suffering, the pain, the trials, the running, it's for you. It's for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He says, All that I'm going through, all that you're going through for your benefit. You're closer to God than you think. You know, a big question that people have is how did Onesimus meet Paul to begin with? If Paul was in prison, how did Onesimus run into Paul? Well, there's two possibilities. Uh, scholars have debated over both of them. The first one is that possibly Onesimus was arrested for something. Uh, 
drunken intoxication or causing trouble. But I can imagine that when he went to jail, they asked him, what's your name? He might have said, Chachi. Because I doubt he gave them his real name. He might have been in jail under over a night or two nights causing trouble. Maybe he sold something. Uh, maybe he was a part of some sort of crackdown on something. But he was put in a position where he was next to Paul. Another scenario that the scholars believe is that Paul was under house arrest and would often, it is believed, hang around his window to the house and he would preach out of the house and crowds would gather. And people believe that possibly Onesimus made his way across that window, saw the crowd, his ear was inclined to listen, and he went back day after day after day after day after day till he bowed the knee and said, yes, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running from God. I'm tired of running from my life. I'm tired of running from my past. But the Bible does say that while he was in chains, Paul was in chains, Onesimus became a believer. And, it, and what we find out is that Onesimus actually was with Paul for almost a year plus, helping him, tending him, doing errands for him. They became quite close. We don't know how they met. But one day, that person who felt useless, spent, and tired found God was there all along, leading him to that very moment. So we are the dead men and women running. See, the Bible says, in Romans 6, that we are dead in our sin. And in John 8, it says we are born slaves to sin and that we are chained to selfishness. We are slaves. We are dead. But Christ says this. This is beautiful. Paul writes in, to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2. I'm going to end with this. And I'm going to pray for you. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, which is even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That means you didn't deserve it. You weren't even looking for it. You didn't even want it. But God's favor, his undeserved favor, his grace was on you. And you were saved and raised up with him, seated and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, that's today, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says, you know what? You have problems. You are dead in sin and a slave to yourself. And you don't want him and you don't deserve him. But God wants you. He's going to use your story to bring glory to himself. That's Onesimus. And that's us. You might say, well, I've run too far. God's not done with you. You have not done too much. In your sin, Jesus is calling you. You're closer than you think. And I, I want you to know this. God looks at your sin. He looks at your sorry choices. He looks at your destructive habits and he says, you know, I can work with that. Come on home. So I want to challenge you today, dad, mom, son or daughter. 
your spiritual father is calling to come home. Our father in heaven, he loves you. You're not too far for him to redeem. You're not too far for him. You might feel useless. He says, I can make you useful. You might feel dirty. He says, I can give you the righteousness of Christ. I want to pray for you. Maybe that's you. It's time to go back and own up to your sin, to the Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you that, God, you're here. And Lord, I thank you for Onesimus, that he was brave and went back, and he set an example for all of us here, God. Give me a heart like Onesimus, God. And Lord, I pray that we would recognize that we are dead in our sins. We're all dead men and women running and dead men and women walking apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I'm ready to confess my sin to God. If that's you, heads bowed, nobody looking around. You say, you know what? If that's you, I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come down here. But I would love to see your hand. You say, you know what? I'm ready to confess my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, you know what? That's me. I want to confess my sin, my life to Christ. Any other hands? Amen. Any, anybody else? You're saying, that's me. I'm, I'm ready. I'm tired of running. Amen. Some of you here, heads bowed. Don't look around, please. And you may be sitting next to that person. And this is a scary thing to acknowledge, but some of you here would say, you know what, I'll be honest with you, I've got some confession I need to make to some people in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? You say, you know what, I've got some confession I need to make in my life. Anybody going to be bold enough to to raise your hand? Because I know I do. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to come home to be confessors and you've called us to be forgivers. God, I pray that this time right now we would confess our sin to you. Right where you're seated, will you just talk to Jesus? Say in your own words, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. God, wash me clean. In your own words, Jesus, you know I haven't been maybe the best father, the best mother, the best son. God, you know I've been running from my responsibility. God, I've been running from my sin. Lord, I confess to you, I want to I surrender my life to you. I'm tired of running. Just talk to Jesus. He will forgive you. His grace is powerful. The cross did the job. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Forgive us, cleanse us, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, I think it's kind of funny today that um, you know, Father's Day is usually one of our least attended services. <laughs> you know why? It's Father's Day. You know what Father's gift is? Skipping church. <laughs> Mom's Day, it's like, man, the house is packed. Mom's like, where are you coming to church whether you want to or not? On Father's Day, Dad's like, I'm calling the shots. We're staying home. Or you're going without me. 
I was talking to a father uh, earlier. I'm not going to say it was, but I was telling him, talking to him about this. He goes, he goes, that was me. He goes, whenever it was Father's Day, I never went to church. And I said, well, that's not a way to be a leader. And he goes, that's the problem. I wasn't leading. And he says, but he doesn't see it that way anymore. So I just want to say I'm proud of you dads, of you men. It is Father's Day. You set a precedent. You set an example. You led with your feet today. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.